O God, illuminate our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that as Scripture is read and your word is proclaimed, our eyes may see your kingdom, our ears may hear the call of Jesus, and our hearts may know the joy of your salvation. Amen. Our text from the fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel begins as Jesus recrosses, that's recrosses, not double cross, recrosses that lake known as the Sea of Galilee. In the fourth chapter of Mark, Jesus had, had told parables about the kingdom of God, and then he and the disciples got in the boat to cross to the other side. Now, anytime, anytime Mark uses the word boat, be alert for lessons that prepare the, the disciples and us to be the church. Early churches, especially were shaped like boats. In fact, this central area of the church where you guys are sitting, from the narthex back there at the door to the transit here at the cross aisle here at the front, that's, that is called the nave. Comes from that old Latin word that meant sailor. Well, while Jesus slept in that boat when they were crossing. The first time a storm came up, the boat was being swamped and the fearful disciples panicked. And you remember that Jesus calmed the storm saying, peace, be still. Then in the land of the Gerasenes, Jesus healed a man who had mental illness. And that is where our text starts today. So listen now for the word of God in Mark chapter 5, starting at the 21st verse. And I'm reading from that common English Bible, that newer, more modern English translation. Jesus crossed the lake again, and on the other side, a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Jairus, or Jairus, one of the synagogue leaders, came forward. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with, my daughter's about to die, please. Please come and place your hands on her so that she can be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, a swarm of people were following Jesus, crowding in on him. A woman was there who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a lot under the care of many doctors and had spent everything she had without getting any better. In fact, she had gotten worse. Because she had heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. She was thinking, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Her bleeding stopped immediately, and she sensed in her body that her illness had been healed. At that very moment, Jesus recognized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, Don't you see the crowd pressing around on you? Yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus looked around carefully to see who had done it. The woman, full of fear and trembling, came forward. Knowing what had happened to her, she fell down in front of Jesus and told him the whole truth. He responded, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace 
healed from your disease. While Jesus was speaking with her, messengers came from the synagogue leader's house saying to Jairus, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher any longer? But Jesus overheard their report and said to the synagogue leader, do not be afraid, just keep trusting. He didn't allow anyone to follow him except Peter, James, and John, who was James's brother. They came to the synagogue leader's house and saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Jesus went, went in and said to them, what is all this commotion and crying about? The child isn't dead. She is only sleeping. They laughed at him, but he threw them all out. Then taking the child's parents and his disciples with him, he went into the room where the child was. Taking her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, young woman, get up. Suddenly, the young woman got up began to walk around. She was 12 years old. They were shocked. He gave them strict orders that no one should know what had happened. Then he told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Did you read that sermon title, Two Women and a Marking Sandwich? Well, you already know who the two women are from the text, but you may be wondering, what is a marking sandwich? No, a marking sandwich is not a menu item on the new, at the New Hardy's just down the road, <laughs> or Bojangles either. A marking sandwich is the colloquial term, you might say, for what is called a marking sandwich. Intercalation. It's kind of like a daylily is the colloquial term for the flower some call hemorrhocalis. I know some of you call it a road lily too, but <laughs> well, our congregation scientists might tell us that a intercalation is what they call it when a battery's electrodes allow lithium ions to move in and out. Well, actually moving out is a de-intercalation. <laughs> The medical folks in our congregation may know that it's also a term for when you're in some sort of medical training and you study a subject that you've already taken in your medical training, so it might add a little time to your medical training. And our clock watchers, well, and calendar watchers may know that intercalation can refer to the insertion of a second. You know, every once in a while they put an extra second in the clock to keep things on time. In fact, that term came about when the Romans, the Romans had this lunar calendar and they, they kind of figured out, you know, it's getting, to be it's getting to be December and summertime, something's off on our calendar. So they fixed their calendar by putting in two extra months. They put in January and February. And so enter is that insertion or in between and the calculation had to do, had to do with declaring. They declared two months. And every fourth year we say, I declare it's a leap year, right? <laughs> well, all those situations. And intercalation involves insertion, and that's the way it is with gospel writer Mark too. 
several times along the way. He's already done it earlier in the book. He'll do it some more later. Mark starts telling one story, and then he interrupts that story with another story. I know you and I both know people who do that <laughs> in conversation all the time, and they don't always get back to that first story, do they? <laughs> but for Mark, it's a literary technique. It encourages us to consider two apparently different, unrelated stories and makes us look at how are they alike? How are they different? And what is it we can learn from that combination of stories? Well, first let's consider the similarities and differences. Both stories involve women who are not named being healed by Jesus. But one woman is an adult and the other is quite young. She's 12. The bleeding woman was considered unclean in her society, so she would have been isolated, alone. But the 12-year-old, the 12-year-old was, she was in the bosom of her family. She was surrounded by people who loved her and cared for her. But when she died, according to their strict rules, Jesus would have become unclean from touching that dead body, just as he would be unclean from associating with this bleeding woman by their rules. And yet, and yet, he touched them and made them whole. Now one of these women has an advocate, her father. He's a man of prominence in the synagogue who begs for his daughter's life. But the other one doesn't ask to be healed. She just grabs Jesus' garment. Both women are healed, but the child died before she was healed. The bleeding woman was healed in the middle of a crowd of people who were not even aware of what happened until Jesus mentioned it. Both women were healed, but the crowd was certain of the dead child's situation. So when Jesus said, what's all this commotion and crying about? Child isn't dead. She's only sleeping. They laughed at him. Both women are healed, but Jesus has a conversation with the bleeding woman and with the child brought back to life. He just told her, make sure you feed her. There are lots of similarities and there are lots of differences. So what is it we can learn from these two stories? One thing this pair of stories, this Mark and Sandwich points out is the power, the importance of touch. There are many remarkable photographs of England's tragic Princess Diana, but none of them are as stunning as those of her shaking hands with patients who had AIDS, or holding babies who had AIDS, but wearing no gloves. This was a time in the, in the late 80s, early, when there were, most people thought you could catch AIDS by doing those very things. Her doing this basic human kindness 30 years ago, it helped change the way the world treated people who have AIDS. One news story quoted the princess as saying, HIV does not make people dangerous to know. You can shake hands with them. You can give them a hug. Heaven knows they need it. Well, you don't have to be a princess to know the healing power of touch. At those times when we are too emotional to speak, 
those times when no words will convey our feeling, a handshake, a squeeze, a, a pat on the back, are more articulate than any words. Another lesson for us to learn is that part of the work of Christians, part of the work of the church, is to restore people to community. Both these women had been separated from family, from friends, from community, but by healing them, Jesus restored them to the fellowship of their community. You and I, we need to watch for ways that we as individuals and as the church can help people be restored to community. Just look around at the things that remove people from community now. It's illness, prison, addiction, shyness, shame. All these things keep people from being part of the community. I mentioned to the Sunday school class how one of the things our, when our Presbyterian denominations General Assembly met the other week in St. Louis, they did some fundraising, they raised $47,000 and they had a march and for free, helping to free people who were in jail because they are so poor they couldn't afford the $100 bail for a misdemeanor, nonviolent crime. There are many people in jail because they are that dirt poor. They, and even if they get out later or found innocent, nothing is done to restore the money they didn't make or the problems that resulted from them being jailed, even if they were innocent. Well, we need to look around and see ways we can be helpful. And do you remember how the, you remember how those people responded when Jesus said the girl was just asleep? They laughed. Oh, yes, they did. In his face, they laughed. Did Jesus let that discourage them? Did he let that stop them? No way. Sometimes people will belittle our efforts. Sometimes they will laugh at us too. One thing we can learn is don't let a little trash talk get in the way of doing good. Do it anyway. We've talked a lot about community today, and you might wonder, well, why is that so important? Well, because Jesus did not call you and me to be hermits. He didn't call us to live on our island off somewhere by ourselves like keepers of old lighthouses, isolated on islands. You and I, we are called to be in this community that we call the church, to be in relationship with God, our creator, Christ, our redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our comforter, and our guide. And sometimes, well, sometimes we need reminding. This time, this time by two women and a marking sandwich. Thanks be to God. Go now in the fellowship of God's presence. And as you go, remember, in the goodness of God, you were born. In the providence of God, you have been kept every moment of your life. And in the love of God, fully revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord, you are redeemed. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now in every moment of your life. Amen.